You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to your favorite day of the week. I am your host, Adam Matas. Anthony Irwin is on vacation this week, and I went with a major upgrade, maybe the biggest upgrade in NBA history, bringing in senior NBA writer from the Action Network, Matt Moore. Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing well, man. How are you? Pretty good. I was trying to think of a of a trade that was maybe this lopsided, um, as, as lopsided as is Anthony for you. And I don't know if there's any precedent in the history of the NBA for it. <laughs> you don't have to respond to that. <laughs> I have no response. I have no response. Back <laughs> He's nodding. I, I assume he is nodding as, uh, in agreement. Um, uh, no, but this uh, this episode of the show, we are going in segment one to kind of recap all of the games that were on the slate, or at least most of the games that were on the slate. In segment two, we're going to look at Team Kryptonites. The Rockets hammered the Nuggets tonight, as they do every single time they have played for the last three years. That is Denver's Kryptonite. Um, so we're going to talk about other teams that might uh, have a team that just has their number. And in the third segment, we're going to look back and reflect on the season and just kind of think about what changes or evolutions or trends have kind of creeped up both in the game and in all the off-court stuff, so the stuff that makes the league great. Uh, And a quick reminder, of course, you can start downloading us on the Himalaya app. If you're listening to your standard podcast app that comes with your phone, you're kicking it old school. Get the Himalaya app. There's all kinds of really cool features on there. And if you have a smart device, tell your smart device, play podcast Locked On NBA. That's all you got to do. Wake up in the morning, say, Play podcast Locked On NBA, and it'll start playing for you right away. Really cool feature. All right, Matt, let's get into it. Um, The first game I want to talk about, Detroit beat Orlando 115-98. It was pretty much a blowout from the second quarter on for Detroit. It stopped a three-game slide. It keeps them in the sixth seed, one and a half games up. And for Orlando, it snapped a six-game win streak, and it drops them down to the nine seed. So a little bit of drama there. Um, What do do you make of of this game and also just where those two teams are at this current moment? Well, I think on my podcast on Action Network, I I called this one pretty dead on. I said, look, the, the Pistons are at home. They've been a better team all season, and they've got the yeah. best player in the matchup, which is Blake Griffin. Um, you know, Blake, 20 points on 18 shots, but 10 rebounds, 5 assists. The biggest thing here was, like, they got shooting from the perimeter, and if they get – if the Pistons get anything from their perimeter guys, like Langston Galloway gave them 12, and Ish Smith gave them 15, but, like, Wayne Ellington went off for 25 yeah. points. If you get 25 points from Wayne Ellington, <laughs> that's going to set up the Pistons pretty well for success. They need so little in terms of, of perimeter offense to supplement what they're going to get from Griffin and Drummond every night. Um, you know, the match – gone back to back. I'm not surprised that that, that they weren't able to, to kind of carry this, you know, with where they were at. Um, uh, Gordon, I thought, did not play a great defensive game uh, versus Griffin. Kind of let him get to his spots, even though Griffin didn't have a great night. Um, and then, you know, you just look at at where these two teams kind of match up. Like Detroit is a better team than Orlando. Orlando has won a lot of games that versus opponents that they are clearly not as good as. Yeah. Uh, and they've lost to a lot of teams that they are not as good as, and they lose almost all of the games against teams that they are the same level as, which is interesting because they have tiebreaker over Miami. So I don't know what that says about the Heat, but um, I think Orlando is going to be it's going to be touch and go to the very end with them about making the playoffs because they're going to be inconsistent. I think every single night. Detroit had a, a rough West Coast road trip late in the year. It was yeah. bad timing, but I think that they're going to make the playoffs. They should push themselves into the sixth seed. I expect it to be. Uh, Philadelphia, Detroit in the first round, which that'll be fun with Embiid versus Drummond in the first round series. <laughs> oh my goodness, that would be. I, I think it would be fun for us. I don't think it'd be fun for Andre Drummond. No, um, that's a, that's a real nightmare for him. Um, so you don't think? Do you think the Magic get in where they sit right now? A, a game, a half game behind. 
Uh, I lean towards it because they do have tiebreaker over Miami. Um, mm-hmm. The only scenario in which they won't is if Charlotte goes ahead and jams its way into that conversation. But I can't have any faith in Charlotte because every time Charlotte gets gifted a good situation, they blow it. So Orlando seems to be the only kind of opportunistic team. Miami, I think, is maybe a little bit better. But I do think that Orlando, with what their schedule looks like remaining, I think Orlando's got a very good shot. I honestly think it's kind of a coin flip between Miami and Orlando. Mm. In other uh, another game, Philadelphia beat Brooklyn one twenty three to one ten. They got up fifteen to end the first quarter and kind of just kept it there the rest of the game. Embiid absolutely dominant, thirty nine points, thirteen rebounds, six assists, three of four from three from Embiid in this one. Brooklyn has now lost five of seven. Is Brooklyn in the danger zone right now? They've been the, the league's darlings all year, but they're on a little bit of a slide. Yeah, they are absolutely in the danger zone. Like they are one hundred percent in the danger zone here. I mean. Um, with where, how tough their closing schedule is, with yeah. where their tiebreakers are at, they are just in a, a very precarious position here, and they're going to have to. Let find me say this: Boston, Milwaukee, Toronto, at Milwaukee, at Indiana, Miami. They might be favored in one game. I mean, it depends on how much teams rest down the stretch, but in a vacuum, they might only be favored against Miami. Yeah, and I think they can get that win. I think for them, you know, the advantage might be that I think Milwaukee. Um, is likely going to have clinched home court by that point. Yeah. Uh, so they might catch a break by that game. Um, you know, Boston, we know that Boston's inconsistent, so that opens the door for them. I think Toronto is probably going to have locked into the two seats, so yeah. there's a good possibility they're resting. Milwaukee, the second meeting, Milwaukee's definitely going to be, I think, resting at that point um, with where they'll, they'll be at the third to last game of the season. And then Pacers and Heat, those are two winnable games. Uh, the Pacers, because they'll probably be resting in the, in the five spot or the four spot. And then the Heat... Um, you know, I've, they've already proven that, that they can beat that team. I think the season. So um, I like. I don't think Brooklyn's out of it, but they are going to have to get better uh, performances. I think, especially from their defense, which has kind of fallen off the map. I mean, that was really their problem tonight. Mm. The offense did put up 110 on, on the Sixers. I don't know what their offensive rating was, but uh, I think that's enough to make you a little bit concerned. Mm. I want to see Brooklyn in. I just think they're more interesting than the Miami's yeah. and Orlando's. Oh yeah, way more. Way yeah. more. Uh, Miami stormed back to beat Dallas. They needed a late rally, 105-99. They outscored uh, outscored Dallas 30-17 to in the fourth, so sort of a win for both teams. Um, uh, and Goran Dragic had a triple-double. Any takeaways from this one? I try to watch as, as little of Mavericks games as, <laughs> as possible at this point, which is sad because Doncic is is so much fun. Yeah, fun. Um, you know, nineteen eight seven for him, like on a wow. on a on a bad night where he had nineteen points on eight on eighteen shots. But um, I do think uh, with Miami keeps finding these ways to win despite being really shorthanded, and that to me is is impressive. Like um, yeah. you know, Winslow was Winslow was out tonight, and to be able to get that kind of a win, I think is is crucial. I continue to, to really love. Bam Adebayo and like everything that he does on the floor. 16 boards tonight. He had 11 and 16. Um, he's just he's just an impact. Ma- he's a difference yeah. maker whenever he's on the floor. And that those combinations when they get everybody when they get Winslow back and they've got um, you know Richardson and Winslow and Adebayo like that combination is is really dangerous. And hey. Dion Waiters, 17 <laughs> points on 17 shots, but hey, he put up 17. So like they're going to keep grinding out ways to win. Um, I think, it, again, most of this is just – it's a real bummer to me that the Mavericks gave up on the season because I think they could have won a lot more games if they hadn't just yeah. – 
completely tailed off in order to, to get Porzingis, but I understand the, the big picture move. They're going to be interesting next year, um, for sure, I think. In other, another story, Milwaukee beat the Clippers 128-118. wasn't really close. I mean, the score was 10 points, but it wasn't even that close. But there was a little scare with Giannis. I mean, if anything else could go wrong for Milwaukee, Giannis going down would, would be it. Yeah, I mean, I had that 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 terror throw through my head. Like, how much of a bummer would it be if we lost Giannis in this last two weeks of the season? Like, supreme bummer. It would just be the worst. It would be the definable. It would be. It would be. There is no injury I think that I can think of that would be worse in terms of losing a player yeah, you're, than that. Right. I think you're right. Um, it would. It would be the absolute uh, biggest bummer. Um, weird thing for the Clippers, and I think this is the second time this has happened this week. I think I think th- uh, this happened earlier too. Their bench really had trouble. Uh, you know, Montrez Harrell only had 13 points on 12 shots and was a minus 20. And when you saw him, you know, he really struggled a, a lot with a, a, some of the bench lineups that um, that the the Bucks were rolling out. Like you know, Ersan Ilyasova was a plus 20. He didn't have to do anything on the floor, but just his ability to space things, yep. I noticed, was causing them a little bit of mayhem, even though he wasn't making shots. And then. Uh, uh, like they just wound up with these weird runs overall, and uh, Chris Middleton with 39 points, he was electric tonight. Um, it's it's good every now and again for Middleton to remind people, especially Bucks fans, how good he can be. Are you nervous at all for Milwaukee in the playoffs? Oh yeah, um, <laughs> me too. Like there's, there's definitely that concern of like I keep telling myself it's not the same. Like Budenholzer, I just they were such a disappointment from the very get go in yeah. 2015. Yeah. Like. They 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 slid towards the back half of the year, and if you look at it, like the Bucks haven't really slid; they're still like whooping teams. But record wise, they've kind of slipped just a little bit towards the end of the year. And then like the Hawks got into the first round, and they faced this pathetic Nets team that was just miserable. I call them the Fountain of Sadness Nets, and the <laughs> Nets pushed them because they were just really. Um, the Nets were just really, really um, just miserable, and the Buc- and the Hawks kind of got dragged into that mud, and then they barely made it to the second round, and then they barely made it versus the Wizards, and then they got stomped by the Cavs. And you say like, well, they made the conference finals. I'm like, yeah, but you know, you, you have all that success, you want there to be more. And so I think with Milwaukee, there is like I have concern that they get into a tough first round matchup versus the Nets or the Heat, yeah. which are going to deploy a lot of zone. It takes longer than it maybe should. And then the second round, Boston just comes out of nowhere and, and just nails them. Like, wins game one on a Kyrie Irving buzzer beater, takes the split, wins both at home, puts them on their heels, and the whole thing falls apart. The only thing that I think that kind of, like, assuages that a little bit is just how good Bud's been this year at making adjustments yeah. and how Giannis really – there's not the counter, I think, that most people think, which is like, oh, you just go under. You just drop and make him shoot. Like, no, he'll just run through you. Like, you can't drop versus on to Kumpo now. He just – you can't do it. Um, that's the only thing that kind of makes me a little bit better about maybe not freaking out so much. The Budenholzer angle is interesting for the playoffs this year because you don't really think about coach legacies, you know, when the playoffs begin. But this is kind of a big one for him. They're coming in as the one seed. Um, yeah, I'm curious to see what the team does, but really what kind of moves he makes as the the game becomes more of a chess bat match. Um, let's look at the Spurs because they beat the, the Cavs. Not exactly an interesting game, 116-110, but it was Ginobili night. Um, do you have anything about this game or anything about Ginobili night that you want to offer up? Uh, just that Manu was a defining player for the modern era and he was such a precursor for yeah. things that we don't really know. Like the kind of crazy passes that so many guys try now, like Nikola Jokic and, and others and even Harden, like a lot of that was born with what Ginobili would do. And the fact that Ginobili was so wild and he still got popped to trust him as a testament to how great he was also 
the inventor of the modern flop. We do not give him enough credit for being the inventor <laughs> of the modern flop, one of the greatest floppers and flailers on offense. I that love I've that you bring seen. this up. I've said this, but I said that he is the guy that invented flopping, and people say Devots or this or that. That's a different type of flopping. It's that's different. That's accentuating Shaq being too big. But yep. Ginobili accentuated every other type of flop there is. Yeah, um, but a, a really incredible player, and it was cool to see the the. It was cool to see the Spurs kind of come out for this one. I I picked them the Cavs against the spread. I kind of knew that the Cavs were going to hang in this one. The Cavs are are, are frisky, man. Like <laughs> they they just you know Colin Sexton twenty four points um, tonight on seventeen shots. He had another like really good performance. Still no assists because he just doesn't he doesn't <laughs> rack up any assists. But he might not um, be an assist guy. He might be a I, scorer. I'm work. I'm working on a piece about kind of the best fits for Zion Williamson, and and the idea of him with Sexton and Love is really interesting. If they can find anyone to actually distribute the ball, yeah. Who's more influential, Manu, Dirk, Wade, or Vince? Actually, rank those guys in order: Manu, Dirk, Wade, and Vince. <sighs> influential. I'll yeah. say. I'll say. I'll say Dirk number one. Because he opened the door for so many of the European bigs that we're seeing now, I agree. like yep. like Jokic and Porzingis, like those guys would just simply not be trusted yeah. if it weren't for Dirk. Like Dirk proved that you can be, you know, kind of a gangly white European, um, and you can get buckets and be a guy to build around. So I don't even know if it was just big. I mean, it was especially for big men, but I just think the idea of a European player being the cornerstone of your team is, you know, he was he was the guy that kind of got that going. A little bit, yeah. Um, Although, you know, you had guys like Sabonis before and, and other yeah. things like that. Um, I would say after that, um, probably Vince, just because Vince was iconic in terms of the... Wow. Well, like, the dunk contest, like, stands yeah. out in his mind. Yeah. And, um, you know, his his years with Toronto and then his late years, like, him being the old man running around, like, <laughs> he, he said, you know, and the dunk contest, I think, is always going to be his legacy. So yeah. uh, him next. And then, then Wade, even though Wade is, like, a better player than, than I think all of those guys, um, Wade's probably the next influential. And then Manu. I, I will say, though, like, Manu is, is maybe interesting in that he's most influential on some of the best players in the league now. Yeah. Like, Harden is, is the obvious one. Um, but there are other players I think that really got inspired by Manu's play and they're some of the smartest, best players, uh, in the league. So like, that's kind of like a weird, a weird differential in, in some of those Wade was never really iconic because he played in the same time as Kobe. Um, and yeah. he wasn't LeBron. So he was always kind of like the Alonzo morning, um, to Shaq in that regard. And, and with MJ kind of being the, the guy that overshadowed everything, uh, which is sad because like Wade was really a more of a two way player than Kobe was. Kobe was great defensively, but Wade was always better. Um, so it's a shame that Wade didn't really translate, but also like Wade was a, a two guard that didn't shoot threes in oh, the beginning, yeah. in the beginning of the three point era. So I think yeah. that, that changed things as well. And that's a really, really good point. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Rockets beating down the nuggets as they do every time those team, teams meet and get into some kryptonite. We'll be right back. Back here with Matt Moore, senior NBA writer with the Action Network. Um, Matt, I don't know if we can call the Rockets the Denver's kryptonites because I'm not sure that the Nuggets are Superman in this extended metaphor. Um, But they certainly are the team that just kind of owns them. They're the bully on the block. Tonight, uh, a pretty lopsided game. I don't think too surprising. Denver hung in there. I thought had a great first quarter. Looked like maybe you know they were ready for the challenge, up for it. 
But the second quarter, Houston outscores them 40 to 19, and it, it looked exactly like every other game has gone. Uh, what did you think from, from what you saw in this game? The plus minus is just baffling in this game because, like, when I went back and, and was rewatching stuff, like, on clips, like, Jokic had finished with the best plus minus on the team, and that makes sense, right? Like, he's the best player, and he's so influential, et cetera, et cetera. And he's only a minus one um, in a game in which they got absolutely killed. So that shows you, like, how good they were in the 25 minutes he played. Like, they got absolutely erased in the remaining 23 minutes of the ball game. Um, but it felt like, like Capella was just getting so many dunks and shots and all sorts of stuff versus Jokic but the bigger problem honestly was that Malik Beasley and and Gary Harris on a few and Jamal Murray were just simply annihilated by Austin Rivers like Austin Rivers tore them to pieces like he had 15 points but so many of those came in that second quarter to to tear that open. Like when Harden went to work in the second half, the game was already largely over. Like the Nuggets right. were like, "Up, oh, yeah. nope, it's already gone." Yeah. Um. But they lost Eric Gordon. They lost Austin Rivers. They just failed contain so consistently. And the Rockets discovered something that the Nuggets are going to struggle with for the entirety of the playoffs, which is off-ball switches between Malik Beasley and Jamal Murray. I don't know if those two can play together. They get um, really confused really easily. They get so mixed up, and they don't call out switches, uh, and I think that that causes a huge issue. Like, if they play the Rockets, I am going to expect that by Game 3, there's going to be lineup changes for the Denver Nuggets. Like, they are yeah. going to have to get... They're going to have to get desperate and wild <laughs> to try and pull somebody in to get... Like, I... If if he was playing vanilla, I get it from Michael Malone. It would surprise me. But like Tory Craig only playing four minutes in this game is like if if his plan was to outscore them, okay, because the Nuggets did shoot four of twenty four from three. Sixteen percent. Yeah. And like that's you you and I were talking about this the other night. You were never talking about how like the, like you said that their best plan is to basically outscore Denver. Or outscore I still people. I still think that is true. I know. I know you do. And like I, I can't really argue with it. Because Denver has never shown the capacity to like they can't I stop think them. A better, I think a better chance of a team winning is playing some defense at some point in their lives. But I don't know if this Denver team can play defense well enough versus Houston to be able to execute. Um, but I mean, it doesn't matter if they're going to shoot sixteen percent from the three. Like they're just like they're never going to survive that. Like Malik Beasley was zero for seven. A lot of those were really good looks, and um, they just weren't. <laughs> this was one where I don't know that they weren't ready for the moment because they've played in some big games this season. But they yeah. just, for whatever reason, the Rockets have their number. And if this is a second round series, like. If the Nuggets get a game, it'll be surprising. I, I agree. Uh, Denver, 18 of 80 on their last 83-point attempts. I think this is starting to become a concerning trend for Denver. Just for what They okay. have a bunch of great shooters. I know it's the end of the year. I know it's just a short, small sample size slump. But their offense is barely – they've crossed the 100-point line once in the last three but games. Like, but, like, what's the solution there? Like, if they're creating and, good looks, which I think they are for the most part, like, I, do I don't know what the solution is when it's, like, good shooters are missing shots because – then you get into the whole thing of Houston, which is like that's why Houston lost the other night versus Milwaukee is you dare certain guys to make shots and you see whether or not they can hit them. And, you know, Denver got 14 shots out of Nicola and he shot seven to 14 from the field, um, which is good. And honestly, at 25 minutes, that's a really good rate. Right. Like in a playoff in a playoff game, Nicola's playing probably is probably going to play 35 to 40 minutes. And in that situation, he's probably got more points and it's a little 
bit closer. One of the issues I, I think it has, like Paul Mills have has really struggled in this matchup, and I think that that's a concern as well. Um, but they're going to have to get somebody who's comfortable to step up and make plays versus Houston. Somebody is going to have to, like, somebody is going to have to lead them in this series. That's not Nicola, and I just don't know who that's going to be. You mentioned Austin Rivers plus thirty four tonight in twenty eight yep. minutes. It's pretty pretty, good. So the second highest was Nene with plus seventeen. So Austin Rivers, Denver Nuggets kryptonite, I guess. Oh, that's painful to even just say out loud. Um, are there any other? Is there a single other team in the NBA that has a team that owns them as much as the Rockets own the Nuggets, or is that the number one biggest bully on the block uh, matchup? I can't think of one that that's this disparate because I mean I think the only one that's, that's maybe comparable is the Sixers and Boston. Like, Boston just really has their number. Even in that game that they lost, it did not feel like... Like that was a sustainable model. I felt like very yes. much that, that if this was a series, Boston was going to win. Yeah. Um, and those I, ones I, are close. They're not like always blowouts. They're at least close. Yeah. It's just Boston always wins. It wins every single one. Um, when Nurkic was healthy, I think OKC had a really healthy advantage over them. Um, mm. I think, you know, I want to see tomorrow. If Denver sweeps OKC tomorrow, that's that's <laughs> one I'm, I'm going to be keeping an eye on if that's the 2-7 because that's very possible at this moment in time. So... Um, For that, the record, that, I think that Denver is has their number, but not that much. It's one of those ones where it's like the teams in a vacuum are close to even, but Denver just seems to always win. That that's more like yeah. that. Yeah, um, that's that's really. And then the other one is um, honestly like, I guess on a relative scale, like Houston seems to have Golden State's number to the right. degree that anyone can have Golden State's yep. number. Yep, I, I agree because I think the Warriors are a lot better than the Rockets, but that series. I mean, it's at least interesting. I don't know that we're going to end up there almost. I mean, I, I would bet on us ending up there. But I, I, just, I still find it. I'm still intrigued. I'm still intrigued by that matchup. Not so much. <laughs> Rockets, Rockets Warriors. I mean, like, I'm, um, still, I'm still, like, convincing myself that that's, you know, suspending belief, I guess. Yeah, I think, I think everyone's, like, interested in the idea. I think everyone's like, ooh, can we? I just, I, the Rockets have been playing really great defense as of late. So I have to, like, kind of give them credit. I just don't necessarily... I just I keep looking at like oh man they got to get good minutes from Austin Rivers they got to get good <laughs> minutes from Austin Rivers and Gerald Green yeah um and and Nene is really important for them if not Kenneth Fareed which is I think really concerning Daniel House I think in that matchup that's a lot for a rookie to kind of manage like that's a lot for a rookie to manage like I have zero concerns about PJ Tucker Clint Capella James Harden Chris Paul Eric Gordon like those guys are fine. Um, Elon Shumpert it has never really stepped up and made the kind of shots that you need him to make. There's a lot of re- like, there's a lot of reliance on Austin Rivers, and it's just I'm just not at a place where I necessarily trust that. Mm. I threw this one out to David Locke earlier. Jazz Thunder, the the Thunder have won all four games that they've made. They've played this season. Um, there's been high scoring, low scoring. Of course, last year the Jazz knocked the Thunder out of the playoffs. I, I still think the Jazz have the Thunder's number. I, I I know that it sounds weird saying that coming off a season where they haven't won a game against them, but if that matchup were to happen, I guess I, I guess it's almost impossible for that matchup to happen. But I, that's still another one that I would I would lean towards um, towards the Jazz. Um, all right, let's take another break. When we get back, I want to talk about some big picture stuff with the league because I feel like this was a every year. There's interesting takeaways. Usually, there's a lot of takeaways come to playoffs because that's when you really learn about about teams and trends. But I still feel like there was a lot that happened this year that'll have ripple effects down the line. We'll talk about that when we come back.
All right, I'm back here with Matt Moore, senior NBA writer for the Action Network. Uh, and a quick reminder, you can download the Himalaya app, the brand new podcast app that offers all kinds of great features, the easiest way to listen to this show and all of your favorite podcasts. And then, of course, use your smart device, whether in your car, uh, at home, just waking up, getting in the shower, whatever. Tell your smart device, play podcast locked on NBA, and it'll start up, fire up right away for you. All right, Matt. Um, First of all, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the most interesting season in the history of the NBA, 1 being the most boring, where do you think this season falls? Not just the product on the court, but everything that's happened around the, the league. Ooh, good one. Um, not the most interesting. Like, since I've been covering the league, I would say it's probably a top five most interesting. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it's pretty been pretty fascinating to me. I've I've been really surprised when people are like, "Oh, the league kind of like." There's a there's a colleague I have from somewhere I used to work that is always like, "This season is terrible. Everything is terrible." And like his whole thing is like the Warriors are overbearing, and I'm like, I, I'm kind of be it past that because to me it's like, look, the Warriors are there, but there is at least this kind of like because of the Kevin Durant stuff, because of the Draymond Green stuff, because their bench is so bad. Like you could talk yourself into them losing. And I couldn't talk myself into them losing the last two years. I was just like, they're just going to win. And now I'm like, they're probably going to win. They're probably going to win. Right. But like, I could see it just like falling apart. Like, that's just something that I could see happening because of how inconsistent and how sick of each other they are. Like, those guys are the Beatles in the <laughs> Let It Be sessions. Like, they are there for the paycheck. Um, I think the, the Andrew Bogut, uh, DeMarcus Cousins dynamic is going to be interesting in the playoffs because yeah. I just think Bogut is the better fit for that team by a mile. And. I don't know. It, it could be interesting seeing Cousins not play or play extremely limited minutes. And then not be happy about that at yeah, all. Exactly. Uh, he'll be a grumpy goose if that happens. Um, you know, you had a, we've had a fantastic MVP race that I'm writing about right now. Like an absolutely stellar MVP race. You had the Bucks and the Nuggets were two of the most interesting stories in the league built around unconventional superstars with like really fantastic styles of play. Yeah. You had Toronto, you know, adding Kawhi Leonard and making this huge run under such weird circumstances. You had the Clippers who have traded their best player three times in the last two years and are still somehow in the playoffs while the Los Angeles Lakers added LeBron James and missed the postseason entirely. Like, that's a fascinating story, as sad as it was. Uh, the Kings were really interesting this year. I've really enjoyed the young teams. Like, the yeah. Hawks are really yeah. are really fun to watch. The Bulls only have two modes in which they're super entertaining or horrible. Um, the Cavaliers have been really interesting. Um, the Wizards, after everything kind of settled down after the John Wall thing, when, once they made the trade, were at least, like, interesting, if not good. Um you know, the Celtics, I think the drama was at an all-time high, this level, between the Jimmy – like, remember the Jimmy <laughs> Butler? Like, Jimmy Butler got traded. Like That's, <laughs> that's right. That's the thing that happened. That's the thing that I've, like, forgot about. Yeah, like, Jimmy, Jimmy <laughs> Butler – superstar was traded. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, like, Jimmy Butler walked into training camp, beat all of his teammates with the third team, yelled at the front office, and then did an interview with ESPN about it. <laughs> Very natural moment. You're right. This season has – I forget – see, what, what the one thing I would say that I complain about with this season i was talking to some people some colleagues in denver about this i feel like the lebron story and the lakers story has just it, it swallows up so many other ones and it may that's why it's it, when you bring up these other things porzingis got traded this year but jimmy butler got traded but we almost don't talk about those because we spent so much time talking about the lakers so 
That that would be my biggest complaint about this year is one sometimes one storyline swallows every other and unfortunately that one that one did this year. Yeah, but I think I think that even like no matter what LeBron does, he's going to be the story. Like yeah. LeBron's always the story. He was the story last year when the Cavs were struggling. He was the story the year before when it was like can LeBron drag this team back to the finals and he did. Like he's he the the LeBron's is going to be the story I think until he retires because of where he stands in history. You don't think there will be a, a moment? Maybe it's maybe it's a couple years away. Maybe it's not where he is sort of not the main story anymore. Only if like playing? maybe if KD leaves and goes to New York, like mm. maybe, okay. maybe. Um, but it's hard to see. Part of it you also have to you also have to remember is like LeBron. LeBron had uh, a. A commercial series about his four different personalities when he was nineteen. Right, right. Yeah. Um, like he's, he's been a big in, star. He's, he's been an indelible part of our culture. He was in the McDonald's commercials, which for so long was like that was like the iconic commercial because right. of 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 Bird and then MJ. Like that was what you wanted to be on was the was the McDonald's commercial. Um, like he has like the iconic nickname of King. Like he he. He encapsulates like all of these things that we think of as like a true superstar, and I can't see like Giannis ever getting there. Um, KD honestly, I think loves the game too much and is too much of a in his own head. Yeah, he's ever... not. He's just not charismatic in in the way that LeBron is. I don't right. know how to describe it, but yeah, right. Um, which is funny because he's been in a movie and like his own movie, and LeBron hasn't yet. Um, you know, like. Um, there's just no other star I can really see taking that mantle. Like the only one I can really see is maybe Zion Williamson. Like that's the only player I can really see is like maybe taking that mantle, but he's not going to be ready for a couple of years. What's weird about it, and I, I that was one of the questions I had in here for you, and and so I'm glad you brought it up. But it's weird to me because I feel like the league is probably as top to bottom just talent. I mean, there's a lot of good. You can't have a single weakness on your team right now, or else it gets exploited. Um, there's a lot of talent in the league. But there's no – I don't think there's an heir to LeBron. In fact, I'm not sure there's actually anybody that's close. I disagree with you a bit on KD. I think there's a ceiling on his popularity and his ability to carry the league that is quite a bit lower, I think, than LeBron's for, for, for various reasons. One is LeBron just looks the part physically. KD's a little bit more of an anomaly, you know, but I, I don't know. So I, I, don't, I don't think there's an heir um, in the league right now, and I think it'll be weird when he's no longer – either no longer relevant or no longer playing. Let me ask you about this. Player agency has been a storyline for a while. I feel like it went up a whole other level this year. Yeah, um, it did. And it's a really, it's a fascinating, but it's also a really complicated issue. Um, Mm -hmm. In part, I think, because there's so many layers to it. Like there's socioeconomic stuff, which it's like very easy to be simply supportive of. Like, it's just like, no, like there's a, there are inherent structural systems in place. Uh, that have made it difficult for people to make gains, and this is an upheaval of that, and that's inherently good. There's also kind of a, of a denial of the fact that so much of this is self-driven, right? Like, these players are inherently acting out of self-interest. Mm-hmm. And we tend to be like, well, good for you. Like, do what's <laughs> best for you, because, like, they're not going to look out for you. And it's and my problem is like you have to have a two-way relationship. Like, we have to have some – like, this gets into the questions of, like, the social contract, which I think is what's really fascinating yeah. is like the social contract of basically a team that existed within a city. Right. And that social contract is, is good. because players talk about it and just in the idea of there's owners right. and there's players and that's the only dynamic. And I don't think, I don't think anybody but the players think of it that way. 
I think everybody else sees it as there's the players, there's the owners, there's the coaches, there's the GM, there's the front office, there's the arena staff, and there's the fans. And like they're all part of a larger ecosystem that everyone is beholden to one another. And like the fans should absolutely treat players with respect and not yell obscenities or slurs at them. Like that's a reasonable <laughs> thing to ask. And breaking that should be met with like the harshest of penalties. Um, teams should not do things like tell a player not to have a surgery so that he can keep playing and then get rid of him when he needs <laughs> surgery later. Like that should not happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, like the uh, loyalty thing is, I think that's like almost old news. I think everybody now understands that it's not about like player loyalty is the same as team loyalty. It doesn't ex- it doesn't exist. But here's one of the things, another layer to what you're talking about. It's not just players versus owners. It's superstar players versus owners because as yeah. one of the things we really learned this year is we talk about player agency and all oh, this is good. The power to the players. Lonzo didn't have power this year. Brandon Ingram didn't have power. All the guys that were, you know, pawns basically in a bigger scheme, those guys were also sort of, you know, innocent bystanders to to the the power brokerage that was going on. Well, even then, like I don't care as much about about that because one, those those guys are young, and two, like they've inherently flexed their own power systems as being part of like the Lakers, which instills sure, you with sure. a sense of of entitlement. But like one of the things that ha- what happened during the Anthony Davis thing is they're like. The Pelicans did bad by Anthony Davis, so they deserve what they get. I'm like, okay, so what about Drew Holiday? Right. What, right. what about Alfred Payton? What about Jaleel Okafor? What exactly. about Etuan Moore? Yeah. What about these guys that all they do is they show up, they go to work, they do their job, they play hard, and they try and win? And you say, well, they weren't good enough. Okay, but that's not their fault. Like, they, they are, they're as good as they are. And like that's as good as like the players are doing the best that they can in that environment. And you're still even if you're like, well, they weren't good enough. They still don't deserve to get jerked around and have their season <laughs> ended yeah. because one agent decided to pull one player to try and get him with his main client, which is the only reason he has an agency. Right. Right. I, I think the final one before we get out of here, the final thing that I look at this season, you know, I talk a lot about the 25 and under talent in this league. I, I think the league's in a really great spot. Um, again, just because there's so much talent coming in. But you add a new rookie class that I think was a really, really good and also really, really interesting rookie class. In the league, I call this era that that we're in right now an era of experimentation because there's so many different forms coming in, so many different styles and types of players. And you look at Trey Young is a, is a pretty different player. Um, Doncic is a different player. Aiton, Bagley, maybe a little bit more traditional from those guys, but really, really good. So I guess that would be the last storyline for me is that there's just a lot of talent continuing to flood into the league, and, and I think that's a positive. You went way more like big picture narrative because like I was prepped to be like I think it's really interesting that teams are using zone more. Like that's like <laughs> the level that I was getting into. But no, I think uh, you know the rookies. Look, I, I like to be a little bit patient with the rookie stuff because like last year looked like one of the best classes we were ever going to see, and then mm, Donovan yeah. Mitchell struggled for, struggled for four months and then turned it on. Which Jazz fans only want to think about those two months. That's all that matters. Those two months <laughs> he was good. Um, you know, Tatum obviously took a huge step back. Right. Um, yeah. Lonzo Ball was injured again. Yeah. Um, you know, Markel Fultz is just n- like non-existent. Right. Um, there are all these guys, and so like I want to see what happens down the line. But you're right that, I mean, we're 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 seeing the floor stretch out more and more. We're seeing unconventional plays. The Warriors style of play is definitely rubbed off on people, which is funny because they've gotten as far away from it I think as as you can. <laughs> Like they are so far away from that 2015 magical move the ball team. Like they are just not that at all anymore. Yeah. Uh, they're a bunch of mid range chucking, um, mostly cutters with some stuff splashing in, in, in the middle of it. Um, but like, you know, Atlanta is one of the most interesting teams because of how yeah. they're just 
team to spread the floor. And you've got like Milwaukee. Milwaukee went five out yeah. um, with an elite player. We saw what an elite player built in five out really looks like, which even under LeBron, Tristan Thompson was kind of always there to muck it up like a little bit. So it's been really cool to see like what the Bucks have done. The fact that Denver's succeeding with Jokic is just like, that's amazing. That's an amazing storyline. It's cool that there's all these different ways for you to win in the NBA now. Like there's yeah, just, it used to be like there was a model, like you got to play defense and you got to have a guy that can make shots at the end of games. Yeah. And now it's like, no, like there's a bunch of different ways you can win. Like James Harden and the Rockets looked at all of the ball movement and all of this beautiful passing and went, no, we're going the exact opposite direction one guy's gonna dribble for for 20 seconds and then he's either gonna shoot or pass and that's how we're gonna win and, don't, and not even to mention he's kind of not invented a shot but he's he's weaponized a shot that nobody else has even tried to so i mean he's unique in a lot of different ways in that in that way yeah um you know and and but what's also been cool i think is like how teams have adjusted too. like teams run totally different stuff versus the warriors i just mentioned like zone defense part of that zone defense is because you're like we can't keep trying to chase everybody off the three-point line so we're just going to try and keep guys in position to contest at all times like what the bucks pulled versus the rockets the other night was fascinating putting a guy literally behind james harden to try and prevent him from getting to his step back like that's an incredible adjustment being like okay we're all, we're going to we're not going to let you get left we're going to force you right and you're going to have to make the right to left corner pass like we're going to hold yeah, you to yeah. two options the floater and the right to left pass like that's just beautiful tactician stuff and there's so much cool stuff to see i'm excited for what we're, what we're going to see in the playoffs I, I am too matt thank you so much for joining me this was fun hey anytime man you can read all of his stuff at the Action Network, and I highly suggest that you do, especially if you're into sports gambling. A big emphasis on on the gambling aspect of, of sports and obviously some great columns from him. Uh, and you can follow him on Twitter at HP Basketball. That's it for this week. I hope you have a great weekend, and we'll see you all next week. <laughs>